What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hey everyone, I'm Jacqueline Johnson, the founder and CEO of Create and Cultivate, and this is Work Party, a podcast for a new generation of women who are ditching the rulebook and redefining the meaning of work on their own terms. In each episode, we bring in leading female entrepreneurs for real talk advice on the topics that matter most to the modern career woman from hiring to mentorship to raising money and so much more. Whether you're pivoting to a new industry, negotiating a raise, turning your side hustle into a full-time gig, or pitching your company to investors, we're giving you the tips and tricks you need to take your career to the next level. Ready to make some money moves? Well, welcome to Work Party, the podcast. Most businesses don't make a profit in their first year of business. In fact, most new businesses need 18 to 24 months to even reach profitability. And then there's the reality that 25% of new businesses fail in their first year, according to the Small Business Administration. Luckily for our work party listeners, I have Diana Lee, the co-founder and CEO of Constellation Agency, one of the fastest growing SaaS companies in the U.S., on today's episodes, we talk all about how to build a business that turns a profit and then some. Her business, Constellation Agency, is on track to double their revenue from 20 to $45 million this year and plans to continue expanding its work with retail companies like Henry Rose, Michelle Pfeiffer's Clean Fragrance Line, Macy's, and Barabee. Not only that, but Constellation was named the 65th fastest growing private company in the U.S. by Inc. Magazine, the seventh fastest growing advertising and marketing company on the Inc. 5000 list, and the 10th fastest growing women-led company. Needless to say, she is crushing it, and I can't wait to chat with this incredible entrepreneur all about how she scaled her business, put diversity and inclusion first when hiring, and doubled her revenue in 12 months. No big deal all without taking any outside funding. And you have to get her advice on funding in general. Stay tuned for the end of the episode where she dishes on it. If you have a product-based business, you do not want to miss that advice. So without further ado, let's welcome to the work party, Diana. Hi, Diana, and welcome to work party. Hi, Jacqueline. Thank you so much for having me. Of course, of course. So before we get into your background and how you got to where you are today, I would love if you could just first give us a quick elevator pitch of what Constellation does. Yes. So Constellation Agency is a technological SaaS enabled company that does creative designs. We run actually sometimes the media as a tech enabled service, as well as a SaaS where we actually do licensing with other companies where we license out our creative assets. 
Amazing. So a lot of that can feel like complicated and overwhelming yes. to a lot of people. So can you walk through, you know, for anyone who doesn't know what a SaaS business is, if yeah. you could just walk us through that. Yeah, it's a software as a service business. And what we actually provide is like a creative library that has all the beautiful creative assets to run digitally for those clients. So if they wanted to run immersive ad units where they can make selections on their products and colors and, and all that, we would basically glue all those pieces together, put it in a creative library, and then they can select whichever creative that they want to launch on the media companies. So Facebook, Instagram, any type of social platform, as well as they can run for Google as well. That's super helpful. Obviously, I feel like SaaS companies and the word SaaS in general has become more in the sort of cultural consciousness of businesses that we're seeing grow and scale and have extremely high valuations. But let's start at the very beginning of your story. Your family immigrated to the U.S. from South Korea. And while you were growing up, your parents worked at least 15 hours days at a convenience store where they were often held at gunpoint and robbed all to support you and your sister to put food on the table. Such an incredible story. Can you tell us a little bit about how growing up in this environment, how your family struggles and work ethic influenced your own career trajectory? Yes. So when we immigrated here from South Korea in 1974, we came from a very poor country. South Korea was a very, very poor country. Many people were immigrating to the U.S. hoping to educate their children so that they could have a better future. So coming from that environment, my parents had to work 15 hour days in order to support our family. And so from a very young age at five years old, I was kind of responsible to take care of myself, which meant, you know, by the time that I woke up in the morning at 7 a.m., I would have to dress myself, eat, walk to school with my sister and also have to come back. And then my parents would come home at nine or 10 o'clock at night. And so from a very young age, you had to kind of survive. And because of that, I think that that really taught me throughout my life to sort of be independent and realizing that there might not be a lot of people that's out there to help you. And so when you're doing a startup and you're coming from an environment where even though my parents wanted to help in so many ways, they couldn't because they weren't available to me to help me physically. And then they weren't necessarily as helpful, even financially, you kind of have to learn the ways to survive. And so startup life is very, very similar. You have to make a business from nothing. You have no resources. You have no money. You have nobody that believes in you or trusts you at that point, right? Everything is you have to convince them. They have to believe in your vision. They have to actually decide this is the company I want to work for. And then if you ever do try to find investors out there, it is also the same thing is that they must believe that you are capable of executing whatever you say that you're going to do. So it's very, very similar in those ways because you have to execute your life from a very young age because there's very few people helping you doing that. And then in real start off, it, it is the same exact thing. Yeah, absolutely. It's a lot of kind of being your own biggest hype person to get you through those tough times. But I think anyone who grew up with parents that own their own business or, you know, work those hours was able to see firsthand what it takes. So you started working in sales at car dealerships when you were just 18 yes. and part 
due to watching your parents struggle. And obviously you wanted to, you know, create your own wealth as well and create your own opportunity. What made you want to pursue a career in the auto industry specifically? And what inspired you to get into sales? Yeah. So I was not inspired to go into the auto industry at all. I don't think anybody ever, you know, grows up and says, oh, I want to work for an auto dealership. It was because I didn't want my parents to continue to pay for my education. So watching your family struggle at a very young age, you, you decide like, do I still want them to support me and work this hard? Or do I want mm-hmm. them to somehow relax and not realize like I have to support my two daughters that still need financial support? So the answer for me was, I don't want them to work that hard, especially not because of me. So freshman year, I looked in the newspaper and I saw that there was an ad out for a, a greeter at a local car dealership. And I was just going for a local greeter position that was just going to be for the summertime. When I get there after two weeks, they say there's too many customers in the showroom. You're no longer a greeter. You're a salesperson now. I was 18. I didn't know what that meant. I didn't even know how to talk to customers. I was super shy. And they said, you have to go on the floor and now go up to strangers and ask them what they need, what they want to purchase, give them a demo. So all these things I had to learn from a very, very young age. But I think what happened was that people wanted transparency at the car dealership, right? Like, you know, you, you hear these horror stories and they probably are all true from the, especially from the past where you walk in and you get swindled by a car guy, uh, especially a used car guy that tries to like sell you a car and it's like super sleazy about the whole deal. And then there was me. And so I think because of that, people realized that not only was I very young, but I was honest, I was transparent and I wanted to do a deal that was right for everybody, not necessarily just for the car dealership. And so I attracted a lot of customers who then started to purchase for me. And from there, the dealership said, you know what, when you go back in the fall, we've never done this before but you could work for us after classes. So I would take classes from nine to two in the afternoon. And then I would work from two to nine every day, weekends included. And so I did that for four years and then became a finance manager in the auto industry, which, you know, that's a six figure salary at 21. So that's how it just went from one experience to the next. Hey, Work Party listeners, we're taking a quick pause to shout out one of our amazing sponsors, Rent the Runway. As you know, we love Rent the Runway here at Work Party, but you may not be expecting this next reason. Don't get me wrong, I'm obsessed with discovering new designer clothing and accessories each month. But what's really special about this membership is that you can wear more and still buy less. Rent the Runway is powering a new future of fashion, disrupting centuries-old practices and contributing to a more sustainable world. Say goodbye to fast fashion, impulse shopping, and buyer's remorse. With over 750 designers to choose from, Rent the Runway's closet has every occasion covered. And you don't have to feel bad about only wearing that vacation dress once. I love finding special outfits for work engagements, but once they've ended, these pieces often get shifted to the back of my closet. Rent the Runway allows me to wear new outfits on repeat in a sustainable way. 
it's simple. With trials starting at just $69 a month, memberships are fully customizable and require zero commitment. You can pause or cancel at any time for no additional charge. And Run Through Runway closets are filled with everything from jeans, sweaters, rompers, handbags, sunglasses, and even gowns. Use your membership to create a monthly capsule wardrobe or push the boundaries and find unique pieces to express yourself in. This fall, step out bigger than ever before. Because when you rent the runway, the world is your runway. I'm so excited to get dressed up again, and I hope you guys are too, because I have a special deal for Work Party listeners. Here is an exclusive offer to sign up for membership. Just use promo code PARTY for 30% off. This is valid for a limited time, so act quick to start building your dream wardrobe today at rentherunway.com. Note that terms and conditions do apply. All right, let's get back to the episode. So... You're 21, you have this big salary. Can you tell us a little bit about the transition from working at this company to wanting to start your own thing? Sure. I think what ended up happening is I went through years in the auto industry and then I had a child. And shortly after having that, I couldn't work these 15 hour days. So I went into consulting for the OEMs, which are the automakers. And I you know, started to do a lot of consulting work. What happened was they started to send me out to all of these dealerships that were broken in some way, whether they're broken financially, they're broken process wise, something was always wrong, not selling, they're going actually out of business, but I was always going in there because of the broken situation in some way. And in consulting, you have to analyze what's going on. You have to articulate the fact that they've got a problem, that there is a solution and that it's a joint decision to actually make things better for everybody. That is the biggest learning that I had in consulting because when you go into so many of these businesses, you realize there's common themes. There's a financial theme. And the financial theme basically means that if you let go of your books so much as the owner and you don't actually know your books and you don't know exactly all of the numbers, you can't lead a business. And I saw so many of these businesses go under because there were a lot of hands off CEOs, presidents that didn't actually do a lot of the analysis themselves because they had too many people actually that they were relying on. So at 47, my husband basically said, you're never going to do it. I was like, what do you mean? He goes, you always say, you're bigger, you're better, you're stronger, you can do it better than all these other companies that you've worked for, but you're never going to do it. And I said, what is that? What, what do you mean? And he goes, listen, you're 47 years old. If you don't do it now, you're never going to do it. And you're at towards the tail end of your career. This, you know, two thirds of your career is over. You only have one third left. If you don't do it now, you're never going to start your own business. So he said, jump. Our kids are already now in, in high school and they don't need you nearly as much. So we can't use our family as an excuse. And if you don't do it in your early 20s, he said, when you don't have children and you don't typically have a husband or, or somebody to support, then you can do it in your 40s, late 40s and 50s because everything is pretty stable at this point. So if you don't do it now, you run out of every excuse. And at that point, I decided, fine, I've done this consulting thing for 12 plus years. I've seen all these broken businesses. I'm going to carry the knowledge that I have and I'm going to start the new business. I love that. And I think that's that's so uh, inspiring because I think so many people think 
you know, when they're in their forties, like I, there's no way I can do this or I can start this or whatever, but it's actually to your point, a really great time to start a business from a life cycle perspective of where you might be from a knowledge perspective. Obviously you had a ton of experience. So I think that's really incredible that you were able to do that. And obviously you're entering into an industry that is extremely male dominated, extremely sexist. You know, we've all heard the story. So tell us a little bit about getting into that field and you know, what you experienced and how you overcame any of those sort of preconceived notions of being a woman in the auto industry. Sure, Jacqueline. I mean, the experience that I would tell you about is when you're 21 and 22 and you're a finance manager, and this actually happened, there are men that are double your age, right? And my first day (laughs) in finance is my first job in finance. There was a man that came up to me and I had my office and I was his supervisor. So finance management is actually above the salespeople. He threw a file at me and he said, girl, bill this out. And he walked away. I grabbed the folder that he threw, chased after him. Now this is in the middle of the showroom. There's customers there. There's people there. And I said, Jill, and he turns around. I take the file, I start ripping it into tiny little pieces in the middle of the showroom. I threw it up in the air and I said, you made a mistake. You better start over again. Turned around and started walking back to my office. And I did that because everybody was watching. I needed them Mm -hmm. to realize that I was going to be the supervisor. I was the alpha and I needed to prove myself in a way that everybody would actually start to respect me or I wasn't going to work with them. And so they saw that and he saw that and I didn't have a problem after that, but I had to do that from the beginning. And the sad thing is at a young age, I questioned myself so much about those decisions. Was I too hard? Am I being a bitch? They're calling me a bitch. They tied a dead bird to my car and basically I would drive and the bird would actually go up and fly, but they would do these practical jokes because they thought I was a bitch, right? And I'm like sitting there wondering, did I carry it too far? But when you're that young and you need to sometimes have respect and these people don't necessarily respect you, You have to do things that keep distance from them, but also tell them that you're not going to put up with their nonsense and you're not going to be disrespected. Now at my age, I feel very comfortable coming out as strong as possible and being a boss. And I don't care if I'm a bitch. And that's what I would tell all the other women. Be who you are. Don't feel sorry for who you have to be. But that was a transition that I had to go through many years of learning about myself. Yeah, I think it does take a while to cultivate the confidence, even though it sounds like you were very confident at 21. I mean, I think that's such an impressive move. And I think it's also one of those things where, to your point, you know, you really have to assert your power and authority. And again, it doesn't mean you're out of line or anything like that. It just means that you are, again, the boss, the decision maker, and that's important to respect as well. So this year, Constellation is on track to double its revenue from $20 million to $45 million, which is super Super impressive. So congratulations on that. Can you talk us through some of the specific strategies that have helped fuel your business and growth um, over the past years? Yes. Yeah, so I always tell everybody that 
owning your own business is actually boxing. That's what I feel like it is. The sport, right? I feel like I'm going into a ring and you're going to get hurt. No matter what, you're still going to get hurt. And you're going to get punched. Your job is to not get knocked out. And so you're going to get all these different punches from all different direction. You've got to punch back and you got to pivot as quickly as possible. Otherwise, you are going to go down and you are going to get knocked out. But no matter what, there's another boxer that's going to come in just as strong as the last one. Being an entrepreneur, that's today, right? It's COVID. It's the Delta variant. It's the data restrictions with the iOS 14. It's cookie-less future. It's the fact that my auto customers currently have all of a chip shortage. There's supply regulations and issues that are all happening. And they're all happening all together, one right after another, after another, after another. It's been five years worth of business. And every year, it's something else. And so this is something that I say is like, Every single time there's something else, you've got to pivot and you've got to innovate. And every time there's something else, there's an opportunity. You got to figure out what the opportunity is and you got to stay nimble and you got to innovate. Because at the end, if you stand still, you're going to get knocked out in that boxing ring. And so it tells me everything about who you are. Because if you're the type of person that you say, I don't want to do the business because something may happen. It will happen. <laughs> Everything yeah, will go yeah. wrong. <laughs> Everything that, and you can't predict what's going to go wrong. You don't know what part is going to go wrong, but you just have to get back on your feet and you got to just keep fighting. And that's what I've learned in this journey is like, yes, I didn't expect COVID last year. I didn't expect iOS 14 changes. I didn't expect data restrictions. I didn't expect supply issues for my customers. But each of those circumstances gave me an opportunity to rebuild the technology in a different way to work around some of the challenges that are out there. And each time I get stronger and stronger because as a company gets bigger, they get less nimble. So mm -hmm. people don't realize that, but it's a huge advantage for an entrepreneur. The bigger companies have board members. They have so many layers of decision makers that they get locked into not making decisions. Whereas a smaller company like myself, if you don't have a board, you don't have investors and you don't have, let's say, as many decision makers, if any of these issues come up, you can actually bring your key employees into a room and say, what are we going to do? How are we going to get around it? And how are we going to, you know, affect pricing or whatever we need to do? Within an hour, you can now have a strategy and an execution plan. If I'm bigger, it will take me months to get everybody to buy into one idea. And that's where it kills innovation. Innovation dies because of that. Hey guys, let me hit pause on today's episode to chat with you about all things small business. Are you a small business in need of HR support? Well, look no further. JustWorks makes it easier for you to start, run, and grow a business. I know what it's like starting a business and a lot goes into it. JustWorks can relieve you of the administrative work that takes time away from the things you love. You know, like running payroll, managing benefits, and figuring out state-by-state -state rules and regulations. That way, you can focus on the things that excite you most. Understanding the key components of HR is so important to your business's growth. 
So let me tell you how JustWorks can help your business. JustWorks is the ultimate HR platform for small and growing businesses with simple software, expert support, payroll, HR, and compliance. JustWorks is known for its simplicity, intuitive platform, and time-saving features. Take it from me, you're absolutely capable of doing it all, but why would you do it all alone? JustWorks makes it simple to hire and manage remote employees across all 50 states. With JustWorks, you can onboard new employees with ease, take the guesswork out of employment and tax regulations, access national health insurance plans so your employees can get coverage no matter where they live, get help setting up sick leave policies and administering harassment and discrimination prevention trainings that comply with state and local requirements, save hours on time tracking that syncs with payroll, plus access 24-7 expert support, as well as certified HR consultants to get answers to your questions whenever you need them. It's so important that my team feels secure and valued, which is why I love tools like JustWorks. They're here to support you, supporting your team. Manage your remote team and run your business with confidence. Find out how JustWorks can help your business by going to JustWorks.com. That's JustWorks.com for more information. Okay, back to the episode. So obviously you work with massive automakers. You have BMW, Jaguar, Volkswagen as your clients, but you've also expanded into retail and you're working with Macy's, Henry Rose, et cetera. Can you talk about differentiating the business outside of your you know, clientele and expertise and why that was important? Yes. Yeah, so I think there's common themes for most of our customers that were actually representing, whether they're in auto or they're in direct-to-consumer brands, D2C brands or retail brands. They all have the issue of pricing, right? They have all these products, all their products have different prices on them. And our feeding system actually generates all the creative based on thousands of different pricing models that they might actually have. The second thing that the common theme that they all have is they have inventory. The problem with inventory is it ages. It's not worth anything if it doesn't sell. So whether it's clothing or it's a car or it's a product of any sort, every day it's on a shelf and it doesn't sell, it ages in value. And that's when sales happens with that product. They have to actually get rid of it. Hotels work the same exact way because we're actually going after, you know, uh, travel industries. It's not worth anything if you don't actually sell it. So that's the second thing. And that's why our technology takes in all variations of inventory. The third thing is location. Customers are located all over, right? And each customer location is different. A customer in Austin, Texas might be Spanish, fluent in Spanish, but not fluent in English. Whereas a customer in let's say Kansas might just want the ad in English, right? And then you have Flushing, Mm. New York. Those customers might be Korean and Chinese. They only read those languages. So based on different locations of the country, they all basically react to different advertisements differently based on who they are. So that is basically location. And the fourth part is customer segmentation. We factor all of that in. So when we are doing an advertisement, whether you're for an auto brand or we are representing Henry Rose or Macy's or any of that, we factor in the fact that people are diverse in nature and that we are going to factor in that they have different products with different prices that we need to move as quickly as possible. So we have ways to retarget people with products based on who they are. We can change them to different languages. We can even say, hey, you're a UCLA student. Here's a UCLA offer. Because people 
want personalized experiences. They want custom experiences. They want experiences when it's just about them. That's what we try to do. And all those industries have the same identical problem. Exactly. So let's talk about ads a little bit more. What do you find are the most effective ads out there? You know, is it display? Is it social media? Like, is it email marketing? Like, what are you seeing perform the best? And also for some small businesses that might be listening, where do you suggest they put their dollars in terms of advertising if they can't do these much larger spends? Yeah. So I think that obviously most marketing companies all do some form of email, direct mail, and they'll do uh, organic advertising. And that really doesn't cost any money to do. It just costs just as a process. It's having a list of customers to go after and retargeting plan, and maybe even a subscription model to reapproach them based on the products that they had ordered before. I believe that it is important to add paid media into the strategy. And the reason I say that is because with paid media, you can go to a much larger audience than the ones that you basically have just inside of your CRM. So you can actually pay for audiences that have purchased very similar products before. We're not even talking about cookies and website data. What performs better than website data is purchase data. And purchase data you can get from like Oracle or you can get it from IHS or any third-party data provider. And those have visa data, purchase data, they know what cars you drive. And because of those preferences that they've already purchased before, those data assets are going to perform much, much better. If I basically get those data assets and then I put some paid media behind it, whether it's for Google or it's for display or even for social, you can go to much larger audiences and bring them in as what's called a conquest strategy. So they can now come in as a conquest, as a new customer. Now you have them and now you can retarget them with your email plan or your organic plan that doesn't cost you any money. And then you can follow them both ways, but now you can put them into some sort of subscription model. And I'm going to say this word a lot because there's a lot of entrepreneurs out there and they're going after one sale. One sale sucks. <laughs> it sucks because at the end of the day, you have to get more buyers to buy it. But if you could put something into a subscription model of your products, and even if you can bring the margins down and make it cheaper on a subscription, it's way better to do that because now you've got reoccurring revenues from the same customers and you don't have to keep going after new customers as much. You can have an off month, but you'll always have a set of subscribers. And if the product is good, they will continue subscribing no matter what, even during COVID. So you never go to a revenue month where it's zero. It will be, if you're at 1 million, then you have $1 million worth of subscribers. The next month you might have 1.2 million. The next month you have 1.4 million. The next month you have 1.6 million. That's how you can really grow revenues and double them year over year, which is what we did. We made it into a subscription model. So I always have a baseline of customers and anybody I bring in that's new adds in to the next subscription model. 
Yes, recurring revenue is super important. And I love the way that you sort of articulated that. I think it's like very straightforward and, and it's a good way to sort of think about things is getting those people inside your you know database. Once you have them, then you can do all the things to keep them there and get them excited. But it's one of those things, getting them there is the hard part, right? So it sounds like that's where you guys kind of step in. So you yourself are completely self-funded. You built this business, you have scaled this business. Was that a strategic strategic uh, approach or would you be looking to bring on funding in the future? I'm definitely not opposed to funding. I wanted the business to be worth something before I went there. There's a lot of young entrepreneurs that are like, let's get funded right away. The problem is after I meet with them and year five, because we won, we win a lot of contests because our, you know, we've, we're number 65 is the fastest growing company. We're number seven is the fastest growing marketing company in this country. So when I meet with all of these winners as entrepreneurs of fastest growing companies, and I go, how much do you own of your company? They're like, after four years, they're like, I own 9%. And I'm telling you what we do as entrepreneurs really hard. We don't sleep. We go through a lot of sleepless nights. We worry. We have a lot of burden of realizing that you have to be the provider for all of your employees and make sure that it's a great experience for them as well as for your customers. To say you own 5%, 9% after four years, that's depressing to me because it's, you should win, your team should win, and everybody should feel good going into year four, year five, realizing the gains out there are even bigger for all of you. But it's hard to do that if you take funding right away. So what we did is we wanted to prove a concept first to say it really works before taking in funders, because at that point you already proved it out and it's already then worth something. And now you can bring it to the next level. And every meeting I've ever had is like, look, if I can do this without you, if we can grow to 45 million without you in five years, the only reason I need you is because of X, Y, and Z. Otherwise, I'll do it myself. It'll take me longer, but I'll still be able to do it. Let's take a quick break to talk about one of our sponsors, Array. Sponsors like Array keep the work party going, so we appreciate your support. Anything from taking on a new project to launching a new business can increase stress levels, but it's how we choose to take care of ourselves in these moments that make a big difference. Your company's happiness and health are only as strong as its leader. That's why I love Array's products. Formulated by naturopathic doctors, Array supplements are 100% natural, filler-free, simple to understand, and they work. Their product lineup was designed to supercharge your digestion and relax your mind. Their uncomplicated approach to wellness literally puts my mind at ease. For instance, take their bloat capsules, for example, designed to give food freedom. This supplement optimizes digestion. Using five herbs and one fruit-based enzyme, it can be taken anytime before or after a meal, and you'll feel results within an hour. From plant-based meals to pizza, they've got you covered. Take it from me, I recently took a trip to Italy and never wanted to turn down a plate of homemade pasta, and this truly saved my life. Running a business, traveling for events, and maintaining a healthy body is constant work. I love Array because they make it easy for me to show up as my best self each and every day. And if you still need convincing, Array's packaging is super chic. Their bottles look great on any beauty counter or in any travel bag. Go to Array.com, that's A-R-R-A-E.com, and use code WORKPARTY at checkout for 10% off 
one-time purchases or 25% off your first month subscription. That's array.com, A-R-R-A-E.com. Trust me, you're going to love it. Now back to the episode. So let's talk a little bit about team. You are really committed to building a diverse team. Can you talk a little bit about how you do that for the company and talk a little bit about the team makeup in general, which is very impressive. Thank you. So yes, I mean, uh, we have over 60% of our leadership is people of color, you know, over 50% of our staff that are also people of color, but also women as well. And so this is a choice that you have to make. And I always tell everybody, it's an intentional decision. It's one that you have to decide as being a core belief of yours right from the very beginning before you even interview people. Because if you can make it intentional for you and all of your leadership team, they'll factor that into the interview process but it has to come from the leadership. It has to be where you say, this is an intentional decision of mine to have people of color join our organization. It's one of the foundations that we believe in. And because of that, I also support immigrants and which that means I hired a lawyer that basically will support visas if they want to start here. But it's an intentional choice. It requires some sort of funds to be able to pay for lawyers to support H-1Bs, to support green cards in the future. But then you can get top talent too, because these people will also do everything to make sure you succeed because they realize that you went to bat for them as well. And so it's really important as the leader to always talk about having a diverse team, how impactful and important it is for you and how important it is for your staff because diversity brings innovation. By having a diverse team, they're going to all think about things differently, but you need that in order to innovate and think about all of the ways that your company can address different concerns because everybody in America looks different. And so if your team represents what America looks like, then you can actually serve the consumers in the same way as well. Absolutely. And that that's so impressive and exciting. And another recent amazing feat for you is that you were named EY's Entrepreneur of the Year in 2021, making you one of the only women to be recognized for leading a high growth market leading company. So tell us a little bit about what that was like, how you felt being recognized for your work. I thought that that was amazing. And I really, we dedicated our win at Constellation to women of color. And the reason is because there's not enough of us out there. People don't realize this, but uh, I'll tell you the stats. 60% of white men get funding. And then you go into Asian females and it's 6%. Then you go into black males and it's even lower than that. Then you talk about black women, they get 2%. Latina women get zero, zero. And that was written in Forbes. So that is why it's so important to me because so much of us are challenged right from the very get-go. It's a negative experience for that, any type of funding right from the get-go. It's harder for any people of color, women of color out there trying to get anything, including funding. So if you are one of the fastest growing companies and you happen to be a person of color, You've got to advertise it. You've got to publicize it because you're trying to break the glass ceiling for the rest of us that need to also want to get there as well. And so it's really, really important. It's our mission to make sure that we publicize that 
not for us, but for everybody else and the millennials and everybody else that wants a future as well, starting their own business. Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like it's especially important in the technology side of, of the business and the agency side of businesses. I think so often, a lot of times CPG founders get a lot of, you know, the press and the excitement of like, you know, what they're doing because they're in front of the camera and the product maybe is something that you see on celebrities or influencers. But there's so much work done behind the scenes on, from the agency perspective, from the technology perspective, from the companies that are powering these companies. So I think it's great that they were able to recognize you in that way. Thank you so much. So if you could go back to the beginning of your career with the knowledge you have now, what advice would you give yourself? I think the biggest advice that I would give myself that I've always told everybody else is the words ask for more. And what I mean by that is we as people always sometimes feel like by asking it's a burden. So you don't ask, right? And the example is that I always tell many of the people that work for us, I always say, look, you're just as good as everybody else here. But a lot of times, you know, we look for work-life balance. We look for yoga, but we also want to really move up. But a lot of times our supervisors don't know what we really want. And I always say, ask for more, which is give me more work or give me more information or give me more for me to advance myself. And that's a huge learning for me because a lot of times, you know, Abby Wambach said this best during a commencement speech. She says, so many of us as females look like we are little red riding hood, right? We keep our head down. We do what we're told. We're really nice thinking that that's going to get us ahead. But what she said is we need to be the wolf. And that's the piece of entrepreneurship that I believe that you should not be like Little Red Riding Hood. Little Red Riding Hood does what you're told to do. And at the end, you're not going to make it as an entrepreneur. You need to be the wolf, which means you need to be fearless. You need to ask for more. You need to actually stand out. And you have to advocate for yourself. And so those are the things that I would have, you know, told myself to do. And, you know, don't be embarrassed. Don't be ashamed. Don't put yourself down internally. Don't do that to yourself. Ask for more and be proud of that. Absolutely. So tell us what's next for Constellation. Yeah. So there's a lot of things that's going on. So we just moved to One World Trade. We went into 50,000 square foot space. We leased it from Condé Nast. And it was so funny. I didn't realize this was news, but, you know, just last week, I think New York Post real estate put it on their front page and it was not something we even you know, told anybody about. So they, they ended up going out there and there was probably about 10 publications that picked up the story as well. Wow. Yeah. And so that was super exciting to realize that, you know, that was big press that I guess a lot of people are downsizing offices and here we are, we've just upgraded to 50,000 square feet into one world trade and took the floor from Condé Nast on floor 21. And so we are planning to go bigger. I love the fact that Condé Nast because they are leasing out more spaces. 
So I'm hoping to take another floor in the next couple of years as we continue to grow, you know. And so right now our floor will fit in 250 people and another floor will fit another 250. So we've never been able to stay at any space past two and a half years in the last five years because of our growth. Good problem. Yes. Yeah, it's a good, a good problem to have. And congratulations. That's huge. That's exciting. I've been to those offices. So um, it's definitely a beautiful space. So that's incredible. Thank you so much. Yeah, of course. So let's wrap with some sentence finishers. What are the three traits that got you to where you are today? I would say being brave, having the courage to do it and being a risk taker. That was the second thing. And then also, I think that being empathetic really helps because those three things really help you to bring the best team that you need to execute the plan. And so for me, this is not a constellation is not a Diana Lee thing. This is the employees that got us to where we are. And so I have huge responsibilities to make their dreams come true by joining our organization. But also I have the privilege and I also have the the um, pride to say that Constellation employees are the best because they got our company to grow as fast as what they have done for us, you know. And so um, those are the traits that I think that helped. But at the end, it was really Constellation employees that helped grow this company this far. Absolutely. And the number one piece of financial advice for entrepreneurs is? So Jacqueline, you're going to think that this is crazy, but this is something I told uh, somebody when I won the Ernest and Young winning women award in 2019, there was a founder there and she said, should I raise money? I said, no. And she said, well, how am I going to get the funding to actually do it? Because I have a product, Diana. It's not like you, you have a service. I said, ask your clients to prepay for the product. And she said, what? I said, that's what I did. I said, I didn't have funding money. I put in $22,000. I asked my customers to prepay. And she's like, prepay. I said, yeah. So I said, who are you wholesaling it to? And she told me the name of the wholesaler. And it was just as big as Macy's. I said, ask them to prepay for the product. And she went back, asked them, and they paid 70% up front before shipping. She didn't raise any funds. Year three, company's hitting 40 million this year, her company. And now she's actually looking for investments. So that's the right route. People always believe that they're going to hear no, but you got to try. Ask the prepay. I love that. That's amazing advice. So if you're listening, write that down. But I want to unwind at the end of the long day. I typically... I go to dinner with my husband. That's what I do because he's been my therapist through this entire thing. And so many ways I, you, you get lonely when you're the CEO, because a lot of times you have a lot of worries, but you can't worry your staff. You can't worry your employees and you can't talk about the things that you worry about because they're worried too. And so you have to have a special person where you can actually unload and tell your worries too. And that's what, what's been huge beneficial for me just to have my husband to be my therapist in most days when I get home. I love that. That's so true. It's lonely at the top type of thing. But um, the entrepreneur I'd love to grab coffee with is? Her name is Catherine Ham. 
And、uh, she's also winning Women Entrepreneur of the Year. And I met her back in 2019. And the reason is because when you are a CEO of your own company, your friendships all change with your friends that you previously had. They don't understand you. Many of them, they're like, Why are you working like this? This is not good for you. This is not healthy for you. This is, you, you got to take it easy. And so your friendships start changing. So, what you need to do is surround yourself with a Catherine Ham who loves talking about business 24 7. So, she and I could go out and we'll talk on the phone and she could tell me her worries. I could tell her my worries and we just collaborate. And I'm like, this is who I use as an accountant. Who do you use? This is who we use as this. And we start, you know, giving out some of the recommendations, service providers, share trade secrets. But that's what you need is that buddy that basically understands entrepreneurship like you do. Absolutely. That's so true. You definitely need your full support system, whether it's your husband,、uh, your career coach, or a fellow entrepreneur. Well, thank you so much, Diana, for your time. This was an incredible conversation. So, can you tell everyone where they can learn more about you and Constellation Agency? Sure. They could learn about us at www.constellationagency.com. Amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. For more inspiring conversations like this one, follow the Work Party podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you enjoyed today's episode, make sure to rate and review us or show us some love on social. We love seeing you tune in every week and share your favorite episodes. We're at Work Party on Instagram and at It's a Work Party on Facebook and Twitter. I'm your host, Jacqueline Johnson, and this is Work Party.